Today's gospel reading is from Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 39. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until the three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, Listen, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. Now in the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was God's son. Amen. As we turn to the psalm, the Old Testament reading, Psalm 22, you may recognize the opening verses that Becca just read. This is the psalm that Jesus quotes as he is on the cross. In this psalm, the, uh, the psalmist is having a tug of war in his soul. And I am grateful to Emily Weber, who will help us hear and receive the word of the psalm. I will just be reading verses 1 through 21. Let us hear the word of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? O oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet, it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. 
for dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, do not let us or me or anything get in the way of your word getting in and through to us. Let your spirit move in us and in these human words. Do with us as you will. Into your hands we put ourselves. Amen. If you listen to Carter and me preach on a regular basis, it won't be long before you hear this truth proclaimed. In Christ, God comes to be with us in love. This is a pillar of our faith. God's loving presence is a truth that I count on, a truth that enables my own daily living. But if you have been on the spiritual journey long enough, you will have experienced another truth. The God who draws near to us in love also, at times, is hidden from us. God hides. Isaiah said it, you have hidden your face from us. Jeremiah said it, why are you like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who stays only a night? The psalmist said it, where is now your God? If we are honest, we must say it too. God is at times hidden from us. And when God is hidden, when the Holy One falls silent and seems absent, the soul can feel abandoned. Author Madeline Engel notes, no is at least an answer. It is the silence of God, the withdrawal, which is so devastating. This world is difficult enough with God. Without him, it is a hideous joke. Christian philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal said, a religion that does not affirm that God is hidden is not true. If you know what Lengel 
Pascal, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the psalmist are talking about. If you have experienced or even now are in the middle of a dark night of the soul, then know this as well. To come to a dark place in your soul where God seems hidden from you is not a sign of faithlessness. In fact, the opposite may be true. Simone Weil said, He who does not have God in himself cannot feel God's absence. And who had God more fully in himself than Jesus? Who enjoyed a more intimate relationship with the Holy One than the Son? And yet, he cried out in desolation, My God, where are you? Even seasoned explorers of the soul get lost and disoriented along the way, writes minister, theologian, mother, professor Renita Weems. The journey with God and towards God often begins in a tingling sense of God's presence. But as we proceed, she notes, we meet times of God's absence. The journey of the spirit is not linear. It moves in spurts and lurches, and sometimes we crawl towards God. Modern giants of the Christian life have sometimes surprised us with revelations of their own desolation. Mother Teresa C.S. Lewis, Christian philosopher Nicholas Voltersdorf writes in his book, Lament for a Son, a beautiful book that he wrote as a grieving father after his son died in a mountain climbing accident. He writes, my wound is an unanswered question. The wounds of all humanity is an unanswered question. It is a wound that Voltersdorf says leaves him not angry as much as baffled and hurt. Baffled and hurt. I am intrigued by that. This is the reaction of a man who loves God and knows that God loves him. This believer is dismayed because he knows God to be loving and good. He has known God's presence and nearness in Christ. It is real and beautiful and true. And this distance, this hiddenness, this cold silence is not like God. When I am baffled and hurt, it is precisely because I have been close to God. And such hiddenness is especially painful after the intimacy of God's friendship. My God, my God, what's happened? We do a disservice to one another in the company of believers. We do a disservice to our witness to Christ in the world if we speak only of Christ's ministry of presence. For as Henry Nouwen points out, Jesus also had a ministry 
of absence. Christ ministers to us in his desolation because, strangely, his cries of God's hiddenness can be good news for our souls. In January, our confirmation class discussed what being a disciple of Jesus looks and feels like. We watched the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the first of the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a parable on discipleship, really. At the end of the book, following the great victory over the forces of evil, Aslan, the great and good lion who rules Narnia, the Christ figure, quietly slips away, C.S. Lewis writes. And when Lucy, Peter, Susan, and Edmund noticed that he wasn't there, they said nothing about it, for Mr. Beaver had warned them. He'll be coming and going, Mr. Beaver had said. One day you'll see him and another you won't. It's quite all right. He'll often drop in. I have shared this part of the story with you before, but I tell it to you again because of what happened after we came to the end of the movie. In our discussion, I asked the confirmands, these young theologians, what struck them in the story. One confirmand said, I was struck by the end when Aslan is walking away down the beach and they said, he'll be coming and going. Sometimes you'll see him and sometimes you won't, but don't worry. Why does that draw your attention? What do you hear in that? I asked. Because, she said shyly, looking for the words, I went through a very dark time and I wondered where God was. I wondered, did he not love me? Why would he leave me there? But when I heard this, she gathered confidence as she spoke quietly, I realized he did love me. He does love me. I just couldn't see him. To hear the truth that God sometimes hides from us can be strangely good news, a ministry of absence. In Jesus' ministry of absence, Jesus shows us two things to help us endure, and not only to endure, but even more to remain faithful through the stretches of our journey in which God is hidden and silent. The first thing is, he remembers in the dark what he knew in the light. With the psalmist, Jesus looks back and remembers that God is the one who delivers and provides. God had delivered his ancestors from the dark night of slavery. They trusted in you. You delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. 
And God had been with him since his mother's birth, since his mother's womb. You kept me safe, he remembers. You have been near the whole time. Jesus turns to Psalm 22 because he, like the psalmist, is in a tug of war within his own soul. His spirit is like a pendulum swinging between desolation and trust. His heart feels abandoned while his head struggles to make a conscious decision to hold on and obey. From the place of darkness on the cross, Jesus reaches back to the time of light and remembers God's track record of grace and mercy and provision, remembers whom he has known God to be. And that remembering gives him something, someone to cling to. Jesus clings to the character of God. Faithfulness is an act not of feeling, but of will, a fierce clutching of the character of God. Elizabeth Elliot spent some time ministering to indigenous people in Ecuador. Even after her husband had been killed by their hand, she continued to live and love among them. She wrote, faith is not merely feeling good about God. It is a conscious choice, even in the utter absence of feelings or external encouragements to obey his word when he says, trust me. This choice, she says, has nothing to do with mood, but it's a deliberate act of laying hold of the character of God whom circumstances never change. Remember in the dark what you knew in the light. Something else Jesus' ministry of absence shows us, if you cannot pray, at least say your prayers. If we have no words of our own to speak to God who has fallen silent with us, then like Jesus, we can draw on others' prayers, prayers that have lifted up the souls of sojourners before us. This is what Jesus is doing from the cross. He is pouring out his soul through the words of the psalmist and the whole company of Israel. These are words which he would have prayed with his community over and over again through the years as they poured out their dismay, as they had been pouring it out for centuries. Philip Yancey tells of a stretch of his journey. When he felt God was far away, he picked up the Book of Hours, a medieval devotional book, and he began to pray using the words of these saints, saying to God, I have no words of my own. Please accept the prayers of others as the only ones I can offer right now. How often has the African-American community poured out its soul 
in refrains of the spirituals of their mothers and fathers so that they could remain faithful when God seemed absent or hidden in their present hour. Weems, that minister, theologian, writes, I have lost my faith a thousand times, found it 999. The point was to pray whatever I could bear at the moment. Rituals, she says, are routines that force us to live faithfully, even when we no longer feel like being faithful. Until our heart has time to show up, to arouse itself and find its way back to those we love, rituals make us show up for duty. Is this not what Jesus is doing from the cross? He is grabbing a prayer, enacting a ritual, so that he can show up for this duty. Is this not what a congregation is doing when the people stand in the sanctuary ruined by war or bomb or flood or fire and sing the hymns of the church? What the widower is doing as he shows up each Sunday to take his place in the pew in which he sat with his wife for 60 years. Is this not what the mother is doing after the death of a child when she drags herself to the prayer chair or the Bible study or the worship service even as she wants to shout at God, where are you? Rituals of faith help us to live faithfully until the heart has time to find its way back to the one it loves, or the one it loves finds his way back to us. Jesus, in his ministry of absence, shows us how to cling in the dark to the character of the God we have known in the light and say our prayers. Now, I have come to the point in the sermon when I must shift to the last move. It's tempting at this point to fast forward and move out of the place of desolation, jump ahead and return to the light and wrap things up with a bow. The psalmist does this. In Psalm 22, he fast-forwards to resolution. If you were to read verses 22 to 31, you would find the psalmist singing praise. You who fear the Lord, praise him, for he did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. Apparently, God has shown up. And the psalmist has felt God's presence and heard God's voice again. And the experience is all the more profound for having missed God so acutely. But let us not rush too quickly to resolution, for it did not come quickly to the psalmist. Between verses 21 and 22, there is a break a delay, some stretch of time of undetermined length through which the psalmist must wait and sit 
and live in this sense of forsakenness, some period in which he must cling to the character of God and trust and obey. So did Jesus. Through the hours that Jesus was on the cross, God did not make himself visible. No voice came from beyond. No light shattered that darkness. But Jesus remained obedient. From the cross, he forgave his enemies. He provided for his mother. He looked with mercy on the crowds that mocked him. And he died with words of trust on his lips. Into your hands, O hidden one, I commend my spirit. The cause of evil is never more in danger, writes Lewis, than when a person looks round a universe from which every trace of God seems to have vanished. And though his soul cries out in anguish, my God, why have you forsaken me? He bows his head, trusts, and obeys. Amen. Let us pray. O Holy One, we do put ourselves in your hands. We long to see and hear you always, to see signs when we cannot help us to remember to trust and wait and obey. Amen. Stand and say what we believe with a version of the Apostles' Creed that comes to us through the Iona community. We believe in God who conceived all that is created and brought all creation into being. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's firstborn and only Lord of the earth. He came from both heaven and the womb of the Virgin Mary. He lived in solidarity with humankind, befriending, teaching, healing, and restoring. He was denied and betrayed by his friends and was done to death by the state. He descended to the place of oblivion rose to live again on the third day, and ascended to heaven where he sits at God's right hand. This same Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, whose dynamic presence can make all things new. And we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen.